0: Well excited to be able to be with you uh, today as you guys know for several months now we've been doing a series through the book of Revelation. The Revelation of Jesus Christ is the appropriate name of this book and uh, today is our final Uh, We're closing out that series. So if you have your copy of God's Word with you, if you'd turn with me to Revelation chapter 22, verses 13 through 21. Those are the last verses of the entire book of Revelation and the entire book of the Bible. That's Revelation chapter 22, verses 13 through 21. Excited to be able to share this with you. One of the things that's pretty mind-boggling to me, although it should not be, is as we read these verses of Scripture, we're going to see that the final verses of the canon of Scripture is an invitation. As a matter of fact, it's full of grace. And it's saying to men and women, boys and girls, it's not too late, there's still time. Whatever you do, come. Come to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus because He's our only way out of here. And you know, the Bible is, a, is just a phenomenal book because if you back all the way up to Genesis, Chapter three, verse, uh, verse fifteen. You see an invitation begin, and that invitation talks about the first coming of Christ and how that was so needed because we're all sinners and we're all separated from God. And I used to think for years that there was balancing scales. I was just meeting with a family earlier this morning, talking about this uh, down the hallway here. Used to think there were balancing scales, and if I did just a little more good than bad, I'd squeak into heaven by the skin of my teeth. But if I did more bad than good, I'd have to go to hell. And that makes sense humanistically, doesn't it? Seems like we must have have to have some skin in the game. But I found out the scripture teaches something. If we have one speck of sin, one speck. Say speck. Speck. Say speck. speck. One speck of sin, we're disqualified from heaven. Because God's such a holy, perfect, pure God, and how else would he be? I mean, he's God, right? He's so incredibly clean. What I'd view as the least of my sin completely disqualifies me 100% because God cannot hang out with sin in any way, shape, or form, yet he's head over heels in love with sinners. Seems a little paradoxical, doesn't it? So God knew he needed to send the rescuer. And he didn't rescue us 99.9% of the way and you say you cough up the other one-tenth of 1% because one ounce of sin, one speck, say speck, disqualifies a 100%. He said, I'm going to rescue 100% of the way. He sent his only son, born of a virgin, walked this earth 33 years, 100% God, 100% man, died on a cross, his blood was shed to cover our sin, rose from the dead, split the entire world uh, dating system, And I'm telling you, any man, woman, boy, or girl that comes before him and says, I'm stuck, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I don't have a shot of getting to heaven on my own, I have to go to hell, can't take a baby step toward you, God, can't be Baptist enough, Methodist enough, Catholic enough, Presbyterian enough, whatever you want to put on the list enough, uh, I'm sunk, have to go to hell. I need to be rescued. And I believe you sent the rescuer. And as sincerely as I know how, as sincerely as I know how, I surrender to you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I trust you and you alone to get me to heaven. From this moment on, I do not want you just to be the God of my pastor, a priest somewhere, a church somewhere. I want you to be my God. And that's what it takes to have that relationship. And the Bible begins with it. And here we are at the end. Now it's talking about the second coming. and Jesus is saying there's still time. Whatever you do, don't miss this window of time. And again, this beautiful book, the Bible written by 40 different human instruments, one author, that's God, lived 1,600 years on the face of this earth, three different continents, 13 different countries, nobody could have ever communicated with one another, yet there's this one chronological story with one hero, one villain, and here we are today, ending that story, ending the same way it began. Because the Bible just makes sense. Amen? And so, this is what we're going to talk about uh, here in this great passage. Last week, Jeff shared about, um, my Bible's blown everywhere here, so if I, I'll just blame the fan, whenever I lose my place, not my brain, okay? So, but anyhow, Jeff shared, a, did a great job sharing the first 12 verses of uh, this great chapter, chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. But I can tell you that I'm going to just overlap a little bit, and we're going to begin reading in verse 12, and it's going to come up on your screen as well. And I want us to read this out loud if we could, okay? Let's read this together. And behold, I. So the first half, if you would, verses 1 through 12, really was written to the believer. And now the last half, verses 13 through 21, is written to the lost. And Jesus, right in between that, says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Say quickly. And I want you to listen. That's the invitation. I'm coming quickly. Jesus makes that statement. And I want you to listen. We're going to kind of skip around just a little bit. But I want to go to verse 17 and look at some important things. The first thing I want to look, look about this morning is the response to what Jesus says, that he's coming quickly. Listen to the response, uh, because really there's two different responses. The first part of this verse uh, is really a prayer to God, saying, come on then. If you're coming quickly, come on. And we're going to see who it is that's saying, come on. And then the last half of this verse is all to the person who hasn't yet uh, responded to Jesus, that they have an opportunity. God bless you, David. Thank you for that. Now I have no excuse for losing my place, though. But I can tell you that, that, uh, that it's, it's to the people who have not yet surrendered their life and as sincerely as they know how started a relationship with Jesus Christ. So listen to this, what it says in verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let's think about that for a moment. So what does it mean whenever it says the Spirit and the Bride? Well, let's talk about the Spirit first. The Holy Spirit, whenever Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, He says, you know what? Bring it on. Come. Now, we know the Holy Spirit is as much God as anybody because there's, there's the Trinity, right? But let me tell you the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in part, is the one from the beginning of time that's been drawing the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, to a saving understanding of Jesus. He's the one that turns the lights on. I'm convinced no one can come to Christ without the Holy Spirit drawing. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in John 6, that no man can come unto me unless my Father who has sent me draws him. And I remember at age 24, now I've been drawn multiple times before, and I'm one of these guys that believe that even when the Holy Spirit's drawing... You can say yes and you can say no. And I said no multiple times, but at age twenty four is whenever I finally said yes. But it's the Holy Spirit that turned the light on, and that's what he continues to do. He draws the hearts of men and women, boys and girls continually, and he's done it from the beginning of history. Listen, I want you to know that this week, no telling how many people drove past a cemetery, looked out at the rows of tombstones, and asked themselves the question, When is it my turn? And what is the point of me even being here? There are so many people today, and here we are approaching Christmas, and I think maybe a little more friendly time even to be able to share our faith with other people, but I can tell you there's so many people that whenever they're in their 20s, they go, hey, just over the next horizon, pretty soon I'm gonna see the purpose to life, I'll know why I'm here, I'll have peace, I'll have understanding, because right now it just seems like why am I even here? And they blast through their 20s, and they hit their 30s and say, that's okay, there's still some horizons left, I'm gonna figure it out, I'm gonna know why I'm here, And one day they wake up in their late 40s and they're scared to death of this. They're afraid that the only thing ahead of them is the same stuff in the rearview mirror. And they are crying out, wondering what the purpose to this whole place and them being here even is. And we have the answers. We have the answer. And the Holy Spirit is the one that draws the heart. And I believe this week we all have even family members that we're going to hang out with over the next couple of weeks, right? that have been under conviction, and we don't even know it. And they might seem like they're the most far out against God, and maybe that's even the conviction in their life. And I wonder how many doors God's going to open. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit has been drawing the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. But listen to this. He's been rejected, and he's been mocked, and he's been blasphemed. I can't tell you how many times. I mean, even all the way back in the the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 3, whenever the people of Noah were being so stiff-necked toward God, God said, my spirit will not always be with man. In Hebrews 3, 7 and 8, it talks about the 40 years that the Israelites, children of Israel, were in the wilderness and how they even provoked provoked the Holy Spirit. It talks about it in multiple places, but it seems to hit the apex during the tribulation that we talked about just a few weeks ago, whenever Satan actually empowers the, the beast and the false prophet, that's the Antichrist and the false prophet, and they were the most evil, blasphemous people toward the Holy Spirit. Now, the reward was they were the first ones thrown into the lake of fire, even before Satan himself. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit has been long-suffering has been patient, even though time after time he's been blasphemed and he's been ridiculed and he uh, has been uh, quenched. And let me tell you what he says whenever Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, he says, you know what? Come. I'm long-suffering. They come. Now, the positive side of this coin is the Holy Spirit also. His, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was always to glorify God. Draw people to Jesus, and that's a part of that glorification, but to glorify God. The last view the world had of Jesus was him hanging on a cross, rejected and despised and broken. But the Holy Spirit, I believe, also is saying, Come, because he longs for this fellow member of of the Trinity to be exalted, for everyone to see his beauty and his majesty and his power. And the Holy Spirit, after Jesus in verse 12 says, I'm coming quickly, the Holy Spirit in verse 17 says, Bring it on come but not only is it say that the spirit says come but also the church says come It uh, it mentions here in verse 17, and the Spirit and the bride say come. Every time we talk about the bride of Christ, we know it speaks about the church, the local New Testament church. And here's what I believe. I believe the church for generations have looked. The church has waited. And you know what? I'm 61 years old. So I've been around just enough to know kind of the age of my grandparents' generation and my parents' generation and now my generation. And you know what all three of them have said? You already know. Oh, he's going to come before I die. Woo! And look at the signs of the time and everything's going on in our culture. And if there's ever a time that a generation's saying, oh, my word, he's got to be getting close. It's now, right, with all the crazy stuff going on. Well, here's the deal. Generations have been saying that for generation after generation after generation. But the good news is, is one of us is going to be right, okay? He's coming. I'm telling you, he's coming. And here is the church saying, Come. Whenever Jesus says, I'm coming to you quickly, the church is saying, come. And I believe it's because the church is weary. But I want to tell you, I'm weary. But you know what wears me out more than anything? It's not the culture. It's my own wicked sin. You know, for some reason, I thought after I walked with God for 37 years, that's how long I've been a believer, that it would be easier now than it was whenever I'd only been a believer for about seven years. But I even get more weary with my sin. I'd like to think my sin isn't as frequent or isn't as common, but I think the reason why there's so much weariness is because I know His voice now. I've been hanging out with God long enough that I recognize His voice. Jesus says in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I want to tell you, before you, you know, have this is put out on, you know, I don't know, World Wide Web stuff, and everybody wants to admit me or commit me or whatever somewhere, God still speaks to his people. I've never heard him speak in an audible voice. I don't have three voices going on in my head right now. Just to let you know, only two, all right? No, I'm kidding. But anyhow, but I can tell you, we all know if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, it's that impression he leaves in our heart. It's that gut feeling. He nudges his people to do a certain thing. And the more I walk with him, the more I recognize that nudge. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so weary because now I know exactly whenever I'm disobeying. I, nobody bats a thousand with that but the Bible says every time we come under temptation God always gives us a way of escape and I can hear the way of escape nine times out of ten but there are days that I just ignore it man I'm weary I am ready there's all kinds of reasons why I like to stay here I've got this drop dead gorgeous wife of over 30 years now I know you're saying, you're looking at me saying, how in the world can she be so beautiful? Well, I think God did it for the benefit of atheists, okay? I can say, look at me, look at her, and you tell me there's no God, right? Okay, (laughs) I know the intellectual would look back at me and say, look at her and look at you, and you tell me there is a God. But anyhow, I can tell you that, man, I love being married to Joy. And I hope I get to be married to her for 50 years, but there's one thing that matters more to me than that. We have five kids and really now eight because three of them are married. Our daughters-in-law and our son-in-law are just as much as one of our kids as any of our biological kids. And we got a grandson now. Oh, my word. And I'm telling you, there's all kinds of things that would, would cause me to want to be here. But there's one thing that trumps all of that. And I want to tell you what it is. There's one thing that I long to do that as much as I love my wife and as much as I'm head over heels in love with our kids and as much as I love that little guy our grandsons there's one thing that trumps it all and you know none of them can even be involved with it it's something I'm gonna do by myself uh, I before I even tell you what it is and you probably already know I can tell you I still remember what it's like to be on the other side of the fence and to feel lost I remember what it's like to be raised around Christian things and even have the checkers in place in my brain of how someone has a relationship with Jesus but there was so much dysfunction in our home I still remember what it's like to be an addict and you never stop being an addict I still remember what it's like to have a suicide attempt at age 21 I mean life was not even worth living in my little mind And if somebody would have told me at age 24 that one day I would be married for over 30 years head over heels in love with my wife, and her head over heels in love with me, have five kids and really eight, have a grandbaby. And by the way, the ministry we do, we love it. I was talking to Roger last week. It's the funnest time of ministry, the most enjoyable time of ministry we think we've ever had. And that's saying something because we've had great times of ministry. I love what I get to do. And all that stuff is important, but it's all trumped by one thing that I just can't wait to do. And that is whenever I either die or the second coming comes... I want to be able to look in the eyes of Jesus face to face and just thank him. Because he pulled me out of a train wreck. And that day is coming. As much as I love wife and kids and all that stuff, it's going to be me and Jesus one-on-one and I can't wait. And the church is weary. That's why the bride says, come. I'm coming to you quickly and the bride says, come. The spirit says, come. And it's so important that we understand, man, He's coming. That day is coming, and it's coming quickly. It's coming quickly. This is where a second invitation comes into the scene. Verse 17 is packed. Because in verse 12, Jesus says, I'm coming to you quickly. And in verse 17, it begins by the Spirit and the church saying, okay, if you're coming quickly, bring it on. We are ready. We're weary. We're wore out. It's time. Let's go. We're ready and we're ready. But then, in the grace of God, and again, this book is so often thought of as some hateful, mean, angry God that's just waiting for somebody to mess up so he can zap you. And by the way, there's a bunch of boxes that you better check off or he's really going to be mad at you. And they're all the do's and don'ts. And listen, there's a judgment side of God, and there are do's and don'ts, and there's no doubt about it. But this book is all about grace. And here's where we see it yet again. This incredible God, Jesus, that says, I'm coming soon. And everybody that's already chimed in saying, come, come. He goes on to say this in verse 17. Listen. He says, and let him who hears say come. That's where he's saying, anyone who has not yet embraced me, don't miss this window. This is your last opportunity. Don't miss it. He continues to say, and let him who thirsts come. Say thirst. Thirst. Say "Thirst." thirst. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. One translation says, at no cost. Take the water of life at no cost. What does that mean? Cost Jesus everything. But for us, he paid it all. Every time I see that word thirst, I'm reminded of the first international mission trip that I went on. I went to the country of Haiti. Matter of fact, Norm, Hal, and Karen, I believe that was their first international trip as well. We didn't go at the same time, but we went under the same leadership, a man named Charles Chapman, right here in the St. Louis area. Uh, and we were all young and uh, going over the mountains of Haiti. And I'll never forget the very first trip that I went on. Uh, they dropped me off in an area called Ange Rouge, which is maybe perhaps the darkest area I've ever been in to, current, uh, to present day. And, uh, and Charles said to me, hey, a guy named George True Love, he's also from the St. Louis area, uh, he's going to come by and pick you up. I don't know if it's going to be in 20 minutes. If he has a breakdown, it might be in five days. But just stay here with these people in Ange Rouge. And there I was by myself with people who didn't speak a word of English. I spoke no Creole. And we did a lot of this. <laughs> you know, about every hour, we'd still, I'd look up and go. <laughs> You know, and so anyhow, it was, it was a crazy time. And again, a breakdown on the mountains of Haiti is not you know. Hey, I'm going to be an hour late. All right, uh, it could be uh, forever. And so we're sitting there. Well, I was scheduled to preach. To about 300 teenagers in a place called Marouge that was a couple of hours up the mountain and away. And so finally, I'm looking, you know, going, okay, uh, I probably better get a move on if I want to get there. Now, I know you're looking at me going, what in the world are you concerned with time? Well, I fit in real well in developing countries. I'll just tell you. Those people are not tied to their watches like we are here. And uh, I know. Uh, so, anyhow, but I didn't want to be late to this opportunity. I hadn't slept in two nights because it was so exciting. Listen to the voodoo drums, play all over those mountains. And I knew this opportunity to be able to share the gospel was coming. And I'm telling you, I was just so full of adrenaline, I could not wait. So I did something really bright, okay? Because I'm not bright at 61. Well, you should have met me in my 20s. I go outside and flag down a guy that's on a motorcycle. And I look at him. He doesn't speak any English. And so I'm not going to do it for you. But I pantomimed what I wanted. And I asked him, uh, in in a very great theatrical performance, by the way, to take me to Marouge. I said, Marouge? And he said, Marouge. And he kind of pointed. And I said, you know, motorcycle, me, get on. And, you know, so anyhow, I'm doing all this stuff, you know. And so I think he understands. I'm pretty sure. And so all I know is, after I went through multiple times to make sure that I felt like he understood, I get on the back of his motorcycle, and he kicks it into gear, and I lean over his shoulder and say, Marouge? And he says, Marouge? So we go about 20 feet, and all of a sudden a horn honks, and it was George True Love. I was pretty excited about that, okay? Because I have no idea if Marouge meant, you know, where I was headed, or I've got some friends in the bush that we're going to beat the dog out of you, and uh, you know take this all three dollars you have in your wallet so anyhow uh but there was george first time i met him just incredible guy last name true love appropriately named he takes me you know to the three hours or so to Rouge, and then we begin to to make this last mile or so walk into this area i walk into this little building packed full of teenagers and i first thing i say to them through a translator was i've hungered to be with you today I've hungered to be with you I haven't slept for two nights because I just couldn't wait to be here and so I preached the message George is fluent in English and Creole so he's in the back and and he understands what I'm saying he understands what the translator's saying of course and afterwards George said to me in a very kind way hey your opening sentence was you've hungered to be with these people he said I, I would not use that phrase and I said why is that He said because these guys are hungry all the time they they get hungry I mean that's not a big deal to them I mean they will go 40 days without even eating it's just a part of life if you want to get their attention you say tomorrow night i've thirsted to be with you today cuz nobody can make it without water they know that probably at most in 6 days they're gone and one of their greatest fears is their water supply running out and the next night i got up and said i've thirsted to be here with you but as i look at this passage of scripture in verse 17 listen to what it says and let him who thirst say thirst come and i'm telling you the only person that can quench the the incredible thirst of men and women boys and girls is jesus and it's having a relationship with him that's the only thing that will satisfy in any way shape or form in any way shape or form but jesus is clearly saying the time has not yet ran out and today there's still time but he's coming quickly I got a private message on Facebook uh, a few weeks ago of a, a girl that I graduated from high school with and she said, my younger sister is very sick and she's in a hospital. If you're ever in that, that area, would you go see her? And I knew her younger sister. I think she was a freshman when we were seniors and after we graduated, we all ran around together quite a bit. And So the next day, I went to that hospital and I walked in and I saw her. Of course, we, we took a... A long trip down memory lane uh, right after I walked into her room. But I said to her, I said, Joanne, we've been lifelong friends. I, I've known you a long time and if anybody knows what I used to be about and that there's only one rescuer, it's, it's got to be you. And I'm scared for you. Because I care about you. Matter of fact, I want you to know I love you. Man, I need to share something with you. And she said, I want to hear it. And this was one of those times where I didn't go through the gospel in eight minutes. You can do that. But I probably took 40 minutes. And she was so listening. And as a matter of fact, so answering before I even finished everything. And I knew that she was even a part of attending pretty faithfully a a conservative evangelical church that would have preached the gospel. I just knew that she was going to say at the end, I've done that. I've done that and I continued to talk and right as I was just a few minutes from being done a nurse walked in and said sorry we need to uh, take care of some things and I said yeah no problem stepped out in the hallway and was in the hallway for at least 45 minutes to an hour and I walked back into the room whenever she was ready and before I could even open my mouth she said 45 to 45 to 60 minutes later will you finish what you were talking about? Because I need Jesus right now. Joanna accepted Christ in that hospital bed. And listen, I say that to say the invitation is still open. God is saying, come. He's not saying, limp your way up here and I might accept you. He's crying out with an explanation mark, come. The invitation is there. I want to back up as we get ready to close here in just a couple minutes and look now who's given the invitation. We've already touched on that. We know it's coming from Jesus. But I want to unpack that just a little more. And let's look at verse 13. Verse 13. It says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Okay. Here's who's given the invitation. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I want to unpack that just, uh, it's really self explanatory, and I want to unpack that just for a minute here, okay? Uh, this is going to be super simple stuff. and You're going to say, oh, gee, Bob, I've never heard that before, okay? And we've all heard it before. Back in the day that God was using John to pen the book of Revelation, most of the readers, the original readers, spoke Greek. And so that's why he uses the the first and the last of the Greek alphabet. Whenever Jesus says, hey, here's who's giving the invitation. I'm coming quickly, but here's who it's coming from. I'm the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. You know there can only be one first and only be one last. And that is who is giving the invitation. What he means whenever he's saying I'm the first and the last is Jesus is the source of all things and Jesus is the goal of all things. I want you to hear that. He's the source of all things. He's the goal of all things. I talked a little bit ago about how much I love my wife and I love our kids and I love our grandkids and I love our ministry, but here's what I've come to realize. As much as I am head over heels in love with joy, joy is not my source of peace. She is not my source of joy and happiness. Jesus is my source. And she's amazing, but I'm telling you, Jesus is my source. As much as I love our eight kids, and I didn't even know my heart could love that way, my kids are not my source of peace and contentment. Jesus is our source. That little grandson, I'm telling you, he's not my source. He's an incredible kid, but he's not my source. Jesus is my source. This job that I love, not my source. That's not where the peace comes from. That's not where the contentment comes from. That's not where the completeness comes from. That's not where the understanding of why I'm here comes from. Jesus is my source. More than the air that we breathe, He's our source. And the beginning and the end, the source of all things, and the goal of all things, He's saying, come. He is saying, come. He's the first and the last. And there's only one first and last. I want to move on to uh, verse uh, 16. The who the invitation is coming from continues. Listen to what it says I, Jesus. Say I, Jesus. Jesus. Say "I, I, Jesus. The only time these words, I, Jesus, appear in the entire Bible is right here. And he's doubling down, he's letting us know who's given the invitation. I, Jesus is given the invitation. Listen to what he says. He said, I sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. So he's saying, yeah, I did a lot of testifying through angels, but you better understand who it always came from. I, Jesus, I'm the foundation. I'm the one behind it all. And listen to this. This is paradoxical. This is so mind-blowing to me. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. The root and the offspring. You know what he's saying there? He's bringing both natures in so people understand or are reminded all the more who's given the invitation. He's saying, I am the root and the offspring. That means that he was before David and he was after David. He's reminding everybody that yeah, he's God on high, but he came to this earth in the form of a man. He was a God-man, 100% God, 100% man, to die on the cross. His blood was shed to cover our sin. He rose from the dead and he's our only way by surrendering to him. But the thing that blows my mind is he is the ancestor of David and he's the descendant of David. How in the world can that happen? It's because he's God. He created everyone. But yet he came to this earth and humbled himself and he was actually... In the ancestry of David. And it reminds everybody of this beautiful thing. And that beautiful thing is this the only way to heaven is God coming to earth, dying on a cross. Jesus, who is perfect, died so that men like me who are not perfect could live. And on the third day later, he rose from the dead. And the only thing that gives us favor with God is the blood of Christ. That's it. I was sharing with a family this morning in the sun, brilliant as can be, uh, so focused, 12 years old, I said, you know, on the marker board in the room we were in, I said, you know, the, the Bible says our sin is a certain color, and it's crimson red, it's scarlet red, that's as red as red could get. If I went to that marker board and I put a big spot of, car, of cr- crimson, scarlet red paint right there, everybody that walked in the room would notice it eventually, it's like our sin, everybody sees it eventually. But you know, there's only one color that'll cover red. If we wanted that first layer of red paint to disappear where we'd never see it again, there's only one color that'll cover red. It's not white. Some people say white, it bleeds through and turns to pink. It's not black, it kind of still bleeds through and turns to, you know, this funky purplish kind of color. The only color that'll cover red is red. The only way I could cover that first layer of red paint where you'd never see it again is to cover it with a second layer of red paint because red cannot penetrate red. You'd still see the second layer, but you'd never see the first layer again. And what was the point of that little story? Our, son, our sin is crimson, scarlet, red, and there's only one thing that will cover my red sin, and that's the red blood of Christ. It's impossible for sins to be forgiven without bloodshed, and Jesus is the perfect lamb of God. His blood was shed to cover our sin, and from that moment on, from that moment on, God looks at you and me through the blood of Jesus, and He no longer sees our sin. And here's what God says: You're perfect. We're not perfect, but God says we're perfect. And you know, it does away with the issue that we talked about early in this message. God's so holy, so perfect, so clean that one speck, say speck, Speck. of sin disqualifies us. He can't hang out with sin, but when the blood covers our sin, he says perfect. You probably heard me say this before I heard a man say one time I wish no harm to my wife but I hope that she dies first the reason why is because whenever I walk in the front gate of heaven I want to see the the look on her face when God says you're perfect come on in okay (laughs) listen he looks at us as if we're perfect we're not but in the only eyes that matter we're perfect he brings us in and the only thing gives us favor with God is the blood it's not balance and scale By all means, we want to live life to bring honor and glory to God. But it's not out of a sense of duty. It's out of a sense of relationship and just loving him all the more and showing that we appreciate the fact that he's going to love us whether we do it or not. Because he'll never let us go. He'll never let us go. Let's look at the next verses as we get ready to close. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of, of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to these things listen closely God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book let's look at verse 19 and if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book what is that saying I don't want to give some kind of impression that you can lose your salvation whenever it says take away. We are secure. God should have dropped me, I can't even tell you how many times, like a hot rock, but He will not let us go. But here's what it's saying. If anyone believes that it's anything less than Jesus, or if anyone believes that it's anything in addition to Jesus, they're not going to heaven. They will not taste from the tree of life. Because it's Jesus and Jesus only. That's who is giving the invitation. The source of all things, the goal of all things. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. The Alpha and Omega. Reminding us of who he is, that he was God and man at the same time. Because he was before David and after David. He's given the invitation and that invitation still goes today. On this very day you could remember this day for the rest of eternity if you're here saying I'm not 100% sure if I died tonight that I'd spend eternity in heaven you can know and you can know before you leave this place let's look at these last two verses and I want us to read them out loud okay here's verse 20 he who testifies okay surely I come quickly Surely I come quickly. And here is the last verse of the Bible. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Say grace. Grace. Say grace. grace. There it is again. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's still extending an invitation all the way to the end where he says amen, which simply means I believe. And I wonder tonight. I was scared to death for Joanne. We grew up together and she knew I deserved hell more than she did. She knew me well before I was a believer. I was scared to death she'd die and go to hell. I'm going to heaven? I ought to go to hell. I'll be honest with you. I'm scared for people in this room. Just want to love you enough to tell you. If we don't, as sincerely as we know how, surrender to him. Time's running out. Let's pray together. Father, again, we just say thank you for your faithfulness. And God, we do ask in the name of Jesus that you give courage all over this place. Father, if someone here on this incredible kind of Christmas Sunday season would say, I'm not 100% sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. They might be a church member here, church member somewhere else. That's not the issue. The issue is, is, have they joined you I walked the aisle of a church that had baptized me and I'd been a member of for a long time and said, I need to be saved. And so Father, I just pray you give courage. We'll be careful because we know this is your invitation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.